You are listening to Down Home. As me and Jay have had various discussions with Scotians about influential people in their lives, one name kept on popping up. David Woods. Author, actor, playwright, and artist. David's influence in the black community in Nova Scotia is hard to quantify. His work with youth outreach in the 70s, 80s, and 90s shaped many young minds and has had a positive effect on those generations. David shares some of his time with the Down Home podcast to tell us about his Scotian story. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two black men. I'm Derek Wise, and as always, we have Jay Jones. What's happening? And our guest uh, for this podcast is David Woods. How you doing, David? How you doing, Derek and Mr. Jones? Hello, David. Jones. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank, thank you for uh, giving us a bit of your time. This is awesome. This is something that we've actually looked forward to for, uh, for a little while. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you agreed to come along uh, and do the Down Home podcast. My pleasure also. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. So you, you've had such a positive influence in so many Black Nova Scotian lives, especially, you know, up home in, Pres- in the Preston area. Uh, can you talk about what sparked your drive to create so many youth outreach programs in the in the province? I'm looking for love, brother. <laughs> <laughs> love, love conquers all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she didn't want me, so I had to help the community out. You know, <laughs> um, it actually began very. Uh, it's almost like an interruption, you know, and. If I was a little more religious, I'd say a divine interruption, but I was uh, graduating from high school in Dartmouth. I didn't know much about Preston. I said, you know, we had a handful of students at our high school. Yeah. And um, there was a summer camp um, that was being held in Truro and with the kids from Preston, it was sort of a black experience summer camp way in the woods, which I never understood, but that's where it was sponsored by Buff, and they wanted one camp counselor from Dartmouth because the kids who were going to the camp were primarily from Northeast and Cherrybrook, but there were also some kids from Dartmouth. Yeah. So they wanted one, one person from Dartmouth. Um, I, I was the president of the student council and, you know, the, the sort of role model black guy. And uh, the principal gave my name for it. And um, it was kind of funny too, because when I, um, I remember when I met the other counselors and they were all familiar with each other, you know, cause they grew up together and knew each other's families. And then I show up with my West Indian background, I'm <laughs> not knowing any of them. And I remember the camp, the head of the camp said, you won't make it. <laughs> <laughs> that is and, um the great irony was, oh, I did make it. <laughs> yeah. But um, so that's, you know, I met these kids and it was probably my best introduction because we started with the age five and we went to the age probably 14. So I met all that generation. 
Mm -hmm. Every week there'd be a different age group. One week girls, one week guys with different age groups. And um, man, it was just a love affair. Yeah. yeah, you know, I I couldn't get enough of them. They couldn't get enough of me. <laughs> yeah. I was just totally fascinated. You know, they thought I was a little different because I wasn't, you know, somebody they knew. Yeah, and um, they would tell me stories about Mum Sue's, the lady that lived. I think she was a centurion. She lived to about 105. She was yeah. a midwife. Right. They said, yeah, she's a witch too. <laughs> um, and I remember one girl looked at me one day and said, Herbie, you know what you need? You need some flour bread. Flour bread. <laughs> I said, what the hell's that, right? So that's sort of unleavened bread, which is the up-home thing. Yeah, uh, okay. So anything they told me was like totally fascinating to me, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, and everything I told them because I was very worldly. Yeah, I had studied black history like like the Bible. My uncle was like that, so I was able to, <laughs> you know, zip off stuff that they, you know, probably a lot of people at that time didn't know about. Yeah, and I wasn't showing off or anything. It was just it was just my thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, they'd sing me songs. There's one girl named Novelly. We became lifetime friends. Lorraine Kane Novelly. And um, she used to sing me uh, Andre Crouch's Take Me Back, mm-hmm. Make Me Cry. <laughs> yeah. And Rosella Fraser, she was an artist and I was an artist and we were like this, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, we just enjoyed each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I created some of the camp. I was trying to find an interesting way to make um, learning Black history um in the middle of the woods in the summertime yeah <laughs> interesting yeah. to them so yeah. i divided the camp into two groups and for the whole week they compete against each other for points and then they get it wasn't like real compete competition but you know what i mean every every day we do something mm-hmm. and the points would accumulate and they get a prize at the end but one of the things was uh black history quiz okay <laughs> you know guess who mm-hmm. <laughs> And um, and so, you know, and they were just with it, man, because it, it was sort of new to them and I was new to them. And yeah, um, yeah it, you know, so that was one of the that was just one of those things. So when the when the summer came to the end. You know, every some of the kids would leave and say, man, they gave me a nickname. I can't say it on air because then other people would call me that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember, you know, I was yeah. with kids, you know, whose nicknames were like Titty Boy and yeah, right. Ginger Girl and Whitey yeah. Girl. And she wasn't yeah. white. <laughs> mm, yeah. And so they gave me a nickname. And one of the girls said, man, he was a lot of fun. Said, when the camp's over, you got to come up home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So after the camp was over, um, I didn't have a car or anything. I got one of my um, my white friends. She drove me up there. We visited every different house. And then I got to the Fraser house and I never left. Wow. <laughs> this wow. is Mame, Rosella Fraser took me in just like if I was a son. <laughs> wow. And uh, every weekend for, <laughs> for time immemorial, I had to be up home. Yeah. yeah. Because... I, I kind of grew up in a really tough household. Right. And um, I never experienced this kind of openness and love and, you know, 
So Mame would call me, are you coming up home this weekend? Mm. <laughs> and I remember on weekends, it would be like 30 to 40 people in her house. Yeah. <laughs> she actually had to make, she actually made two sets of meals. <laughs> one for her family, she had 15 kids. Whoa. And one for all the visitors. Oh, wow. With her husband paying for it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Mom A's house, I, my, my favorite say, I said, you guys like the North Preston Deck here. I said, wow. every time you get up there, there was a bevy of people <laughs> outside <laughs> and inside. Yeah. And um, couldn't, you know, as I said, it just became my second wife. Oh, excellent. And um, I couldn't believe, the only thing I had been told about Preston, I got here when I was 11 from Trinidad. And the only thing I was told in my white school was if you go oppressing, you get killed. Really? That was it. Wow. <laughs> that was it. Wow. So here I was <laughs> experiencing all these levels of history and common. They were very, very hilarious people. Oh. Like, I mean, their comical <laughs> nature, uh, you know, the church, all the warmth, all that stuff. But I had only been told that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And and I only bring that up because it was so like if I didn't have that intimate experience, I may have never ever. Well, first I wouldn't have the knowledge to be able to manipulate through that experience, mm-hmm. but I also would not have made that level of commitment. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's is why I say it was one of those divine interventions because I was on a completely different path. Yeah. Before that, and then I I spent so much time there I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was going in other people's homes and talking just as loud as well as their home. Yeah, but why are you so loud? Because yeah. I'm home, you were yeah. having a conversation. It wasn't like people waited their turn. Yeah, the loudest rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. there'd be 15 people talking, and you yeah. you know. So that yeah. so I didn't even realize I had become a homish. Yeah, yeah. So that began, and then. You know, because Mame, I call her Rosella, I call her, well, everybody called her Mame. Mm-hmm. She always had very serious conversations with me because she, she understood I was very serious. Mm-hmm. So she used to tell me all the stories about her home. Um, 1946, 47, McLean's, some reporter from McLean's went up there and stayed, I think, two weeks and then wrote wrote in the McLean's magazine. The title of the article was, What Should We Do With These People? Whoa. Yeah. Ironically, it's the only date you can't get in the McLean's archives. Really? Every single month for all, except that one. And that gave New Road a permanent national image. Mm -hmm. You got to remember, North Preston is actually New Road. It wasn't North Preston until like the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the sense of shame, because they were introduced to Canada with that article. Mm-hmm. What should we do with these people? Wow. And the stereotyping. If, if you ever have a chance to read that article, just complete stereotyping. They've had the people talking like they were like, you know, so they've been step and fetch it movies. Mm. They call the kids pickaninnies. And the people felt so betrayed because they treated the woman like a, like a queen. Yeah, of course. And this is what she wrote. And from that time, they were stigmatized. And it, it was actually a big influence as to why they changed the name from New Road to North Preston. 
Yeah. And your your people came from there. You know that, right? Oh yeah. The Wilsons. They actually yeah. left North Preston, and yeah, it was a back road actually, a back, mm-hmm. tra- not a trail, a trail that le- went went to uh, Guysborough Road. I remember it well. Yeah. Yeah. And um and and that so they originally were from North Preston. Yeah. When I left that life, went to college, initially planning to to get into law. And then, you know, by my third year, I had an epiphany, you know, all these things I had sort of repressed, my art, my writing, my, I just shut down. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't respond to the the stuff I was supposed to be doing. Right. Uh, And it really was an epiphany. I just, I actually couldn't write papers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I thought I was going nuts. Right. I really did because I didn't know where this was coming from. Yeah. And then I remember when it reached the point I actually couldn't function, I had to go talk to my professors about because they all knew I was a great student. Mm-hmm. So they all gave me oral exams instead of written because I couldn't write. Mm-hmm. But I remember uh-huh. going home at night and instead of because I couldn't focus on academic stuff, I started doing creative writing and painting and just flowed out of me like just like something that had been there and waiting yeah. to get out and it's time yeah. to come and bang that just, year thousands and thousands of, you know hundreds and hundreds of pages of writing hundreds and hundreds of um doodles and sketches and whatever all pouring out of me and and i said i can't go back to school because my mind obviously was going through some kind of metamorphosis mm-hmm. And ironically, the Black United Front was looking for a youth worker to run a program. And the program was for um, Black adopted, adopted Black kids living in white homes. Okay. And teaching them about their culture. Oh, okay. And um, I remember I went to the interview and I said, well, it's not only the adopted Black kids in the white homes that don't know about their culture. Mm, yeah. So I said, you know, if I, you know, I said, what would you do if you did? I said, if I was going to do this, because in those days it was sort of like you did a black special program for like six months, it was over. Yeah. <laughs> you had, there was no expectation of it being entrenched in the system or systematically going on or anything. It was like government gave you a grant, <laughs> six months, a year, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, everybody said how wonderful everything was and they moved on. Mm-hmm. I said, no, I want to do it in the schools because if you do it in the community, it's really whoever shows up Yeah. <laughs> once in a while. Um, I want to treat it almost like a class. <laughs> mm. And I want to reach every Black kid that wants, you know, <laughs> so whether they're growing up in a Black, because it's easy to go oppressing and get Black people because that's where they live. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the kids in Dartmouth they don't live in black communities. Mm, yeah. They may actually be more black kids in Dartmouth, but they, you know, they're scattered. Yeah. So I said, I want to do it in the schools because if you do it in the schools, you get everybody. Right. You get the black kids who are black, black. You get the black kids who never were black, but never were around other black people. You get the black kids growing up in white homes. You get the, you know, you get the alienated black kids. You get the single parent black kids. You get the messed up black kids. You get the religious, you get them all. Yeah, and I started youth groups in all the different schools. Wow, wow! And um, and that began a whole other journey. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like the camp <laughs> on a systematic level. 
yeah, like an extension, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, we started a cultural awareness youth group um, in the height, um, around 84, 85. We, we mm -hmm. had 12, 12 youth groups. We, we got so famous, other communities started calling wow. about how they could start <laughs> versions of this. So after Halifax, you know, Guysborough County, I remember, and even St. John, um, St. John, New Brunswick. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we had little chapters, Windsor, because we, we had our own TV show. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. We, oh, excellent. We, we were in the Nail Day Parades in Dartmouth. Uh, were you ever in one of those? Did you ever see the Naval Day Parade back in the oh, day? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you tell, when both of you saw them? Well, what, I remember seeing at least one when I was a kid. All right. And you, you know, know what happened, right? The city of Darwin went black. <laughs> Every <laughs> single person. Naval Day was black people's vacation. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. In Preston, you could not find anybody home. Wow grandmothers <laughs> no like you think i'm joking people didn't have vacations people didn't have money <laughs> no yeah natal day was the day where everybody went to town and stayed yeah picnic took over all the white people's the parks. lawns <laughs> the parks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. took over yeah. all the parks yeah yeah i mean you know finley school i remember the whole of finley school grounds was black folk yeah, yeah. But natal day was the day because you also, in those days, people didn't have money. Yeah. And they also didn't go on vacations. They didn't travel. <laughs> they, you know, yeah. natal day was the thing, man. And yeah. people live. In fact, the camp we had, we still had the camp during natal day time. And I remember the, we now got up to about the 12 to 13-year-olds. And I remember when the kids got off the van, because I was in Truro, the, the, the van drive would bring them in. The first thing I heard was one of the kids said to the camp director, now you done told us that we're going home for Natal Day, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> they arrived Friday, Natal Day was Monday. Yeah. On Sunday, the camp director said, the Black United Front never sent no money. Oh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was not pretty. No. I'm sure. Four or five of them packed their bags, started walking. <laughs> <laughs> they were out. In the backwoods of Bible Hill and Truro. Yeah. <laughs> One guy said he was going to burn the campsite down. <laughs> <laughs> and if you knew him, he meant business. Yeah. It was an open revolt. All the camp counselors um, raised money and we took them in. Oh, Half man. of them never came back. Really? But they were promised, and believe me, Natal Day was such a significant thing to them. There was no way, you know, they were going to listen to us. That was it. Yeah. Then he said, no Natal Day. It was yeah. over. They didn't I, care how, but, you know, we would have, if they didn't actually get there, we'd have been in deep trouble. Yeah. yeah. Jay, I don't know if you remember how big Natal Day was in, um, in the church, right? Do you remember the picnics no, I and stuff like church. that? I remember uh, the I remember the I remember the in picnics, the church yeah. itself. Oh yeah, like yeah. um the the um at uh, Cornwall Street Baptist Church, the church that me and Jay went to. Um, that's when that big picnic was was Natal Day. Yeah. All right, it All happened. Right. Out so in, they, uh, they coincided. Yeah, yeah, it happened. I guess, you know, and, and you really later on, I understood the relationship. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that, yeah, a lot, a lot of these people didn't, you know, they, they were people you saw in Natal that you never saw. Yeah. yeah. I mean, unless you were a church girl, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. Yeah. You know, you would never, you know, and, and the city literally went like one third black. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. everybody came out. Yeah. 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 You, you, you mentioned uh, your art. Uh, yeah. um, we were wondering if you could talk about the role that art and music kind of plays in passing yeah. down history and knowledge amongst African Canadians. Yeah. Um, I was always a itinerant artist from childhood. My uncle, as I said, because I, I grew up, I didn't grow up with my parents and I had a very rough go because they didn't really understand me. Mm -hmm. But um, they used to, I remember my mother once in a while would send him to, to bring him into discipline me because she, she couldn't do nothing with me. Mm -hmm. And he always brought me books. Yeah. So he, instead of beating me. And um, so books on art, books on writers. And so I was always, you know, at that time I didn't consciously understand what this stuff was doing to me. But I was aware of all the things you could you know, that was being translated. So I understood about uh, Romeo Beard and African art. I got the real stuff because he always bought, you know, he wasn't the superficial, mm -hmm. you know, this black artist was the first to do this. And <laughs> you know, yeah. he, yeah. you know, I was learning about art. Yeah. <laughs> not not as a pose against what white people achieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as it as a because my uncle, obviously, he was a lot deeper than, you know, he died before I had an opportunity to actually thank him. Mm -hmm. And he obviously had gone through his own realizations because he definitely downloaded everything to me. Right. Um, and I was just absorbing this stuff. So I was extremely politically involved when, um, after the Cultural Awareness Youth Group, um, a number of people tried to shut that down, not because of the achievement, but because there was some controversy that I became involved in with the Black United Front and the leadership there. And they got rid of the youth groups yeah. to get rid of me, <laughs> not because, you know. Yeah. And I found that to be so egregious. Mm -hmm. The kids rallied and formed their own organization. And then I became the program director of the Black United Front. Most of the groups, because I was, I was very politically astute. Mm -hmm. But then I realized how petty the politics was. And that people actually didn't want, you know, they would say something, but if you actually delivered a... Because I was into programming. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, beyond all the talk, how do you deliver something that actually works? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I can, you know, we, I hear people talking Black all day. That bores me. Mm. But when things were being delivered, they there was suddenly opposition. Mm -hmm. You were overreaching, Dave. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't really understand. Because now you were clashing against the elite leadership. Yeah. You will get, I remember being at the Black Cultural Center and they banned me from doing press releases. Oh. Because again, I brought new things to the table that the rest of the community was responding to. And right. I was being elevated bigger than some people thought I should be. Mm -hmm. So things like that. So after about three or four different experiences where I was literally being stifled, not, be, not because I was 
either an egomaniac or anything else, but because I was being noticed for being able to do things. Mm -hmm. And I realized the pettiness of the politics there, that people yeah. really were owned by the system. And they were very grateful whenever the system blessed them with whatever. So even though you could actually do more, they were very oriented to being patted on the head by the government or getting an award from this person and da 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 da, yeah. more than they were self actualizing. Right. And then I saw how flimsy the organizations were. One minute they were there, one minute they were gone. And so art actually was a conscious effort conscious move by me because I all I said to myself art lasts mm -hmm. it may not have the power in the moment but I could you know all right the, the kids rallied after they got rid of COYG after one year of mm -hmm. great success right had they not rallied <laughs> that would have been forgotten yeah right yeah and it would have been a footnote yeah. You know, the, the elite, the, the power structure would have not have never brought it up. Yeah. And people would, it would, yeah. So all that work, all those 12 organizations would have just been something you never heard about. Mm -hmm. So I began to see the fickleness of all that. And I, I very consciously pushed towards culture and art mm -hmm. to concretize whatever people did. So even with the youth groups, they had to create. Um, don't care what you do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually told them, don't believe in anybody that tells you anything. Do it yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, but whatever true. you do, create something. <laughs> yeah. And man, they 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 had, you know, we 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 set up the system where we did the same point thing like back at the cap. Every, you know, everything you did, you got points, and then there'd be a bunch of things at the end of the year. They had to create a cultural magazine for their schools. They had to create a performance for Black History Month. They had to create a display. Now, you don't have to do everything, but the more you do, the more points you're able to get, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, everybody said I favored um, Dar uh, Cole Harbor because I knew all the kids there. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and then I remember when Cole Harbor group started rising, the guy at Dark and I said, they won't be beating us next year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they actually started planning to have the best magazine and the, right. you know, yeah. and that just became the, the thing, you know. Yeah. Um, part of it was outdoing, but, and the pride, man, like I'm telling you, it would bring, it would bring tears to your eyes. That's good mm -hmm. though, yeah. You know, so every year, the level of what they did, how they did it, <laughs> Just got without better. me saying a word. Yeah. Yeah. Except this is what you gotta do. Yeah. Yeah. They were leading um, by your example. We won Day, ironically, we won four five five float parade <laughs> awards in Natal Day. Really? Yeah, for five years straight. Wow. We built wow. our own float. Cool. Um, and the magazines and I still have copies of them. Um, the displays. On and on. Some of it is on my Facebook site, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so they and they went home with this stuff <laughs> that two years ago they didn't even imagine. Yeah, they were capable yeah. of. Then in I think 1983, we wrote our first play with the the the, the, the kids from um, QEH for Elsie oh, Dorrington. Yeah. 
people still talk about that. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Uh, then we did the Martin Luther King, and that just blew everything away. <laughs> yeah. Because we wrote our own Martin Luther King play, it became a hit. <laughs> and we started the Martin Luther King annual celebration, um, mm-hmm. on and on, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So their creating became a self perpetuating thing because now they had a tradition. Yeah. yeah. Um, with that. And the other thing that started happening, some of those leaders in our groups suddenly began running for the student councils. <laughs> so at one time, we had like four presidents of the high schools. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, by Augie Jones. I don't know when you went to school, but oh, I remember. Jones. I remember Augie. He's a yeah, bit older. He became than the school. president. Our yeah. youth group president suddenly became the presidents of the, yeah. the high schools. Doug Sparks in Dartmouth. Yeah. president of the youth group and president of the student council, Karen Hudson. It was, you know, it was actually quite a remarkable thing and it yeah. transformed them, you know, yeah. and, and it was theirs, you know, they own yeah. it. And that's why I gravitated towards the arts. Okay. Because I feel like it, it would last. Yeah. Uh, and people owned it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas I could invest in an organization and because of politics, it could be, Upended, yeah. and you may never know. And then, as I got more into it, I started looking at the history of things. You know, so I started investigating the history of Black art in Nova Scotia that people felt was a non-entity, and ended up finding stuff from the 1800s right through. Can you talk a little bit about New Brunswick? Um, oh. What is what is sort of the the Black history involved there? Like you just mentioned, the yeah, well, I I um I began working with. Um, New Brunswick a little more intimately last year. But I've always been aware of New Brunswick um, because uh, I said in probably 84, the, the, the St. John group um, wanted to join CAYG. So we used to do exchange visits. Go okay. visit, um, so New Brunswick is, is a little different um, because they don't have institutions the way Black Nova Scotians do. Right. To preserve um, a lot of their things, you know. Mm-hmm. So we have a very entrenched church system. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have a lot of political and social organizations. And, and so I think it's been, it's, it's harder for New Brunswick to maintain that kind of identif- identity because they, they live in little pockets where they're very overwhelmed. Right. In terms of their culture, they, they don't, you know, they have the evidence of their culture is not there, you know. Right. So okay. you would you would find right now would be the first time they're doing a lot of their first first. Right. They just did the first play about anything in New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Right. I think in February. OK. <laughs> very, you know. So that is the difference. Um, it's a very interesting study, you know, of a place yeah. because they were. New Brunswick and New Scotia were actually one province at one point. Yeah. So they were settled in the same way and then they split. Yeah. Um, a lot of communities have been, well, I wouldn't say expropriated, you know, partially expropriated. I think one of them was expropriated because they were building um, a dam. Mm-hmm. But places like Elm, is it Elm Hill, where they lost, you know, they no longer communities. Um, so I was researching Edward Mitchell Bannister and he was, you know, if you Google Edward Mitchell Bannister, he's the first African-American to win a major art prize, the Centennial right. Medal. 
Um, he was a co-founder of the Rhode Island School of Design. Okay. A whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Born in New Brunswick. I go to his, you know, I, I phone his hometown to find out about him. Never heard of him. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I go to actually his hometown, St. Andrews, New Brunswick, to the museum. Turns out the museum is the home of the family that adopted him after his parents died. Oh, wow. wow. So the museum was the man's home and they knew nothing about it. Oh. Wow. Now wow. they yeah, <laughs> they don't admit that they didn't know. But when I yeah. first started, and then, so I was there last summer and um, so I was asking about the black community that he emerged from because both his parents died and then he was adopted by this white family. I, um, the name slips me right now, will come back to me. And they say, well, the last black person died in 1950, whatever. Mm-hmm. And when when people tell me that, I mean, I'm familiar with Scotia. <laughs> when you tell me the last black person died, that just means it's black people that ain't black. Yeah. That ain't saying they black. Because oh, yeah. so you know us. Yeah, no. <laughs> we leaves, we, you know, we leaves descendants. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Now you may not want to own up to it. <laughs> you, <laughs> brothers ain't said known. You know. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going there because St. Andrews by the sea, which is a very famous resort. Yeah. And there's that famous hotel, I think it was actually on a stamp. The golf course covered up the black community. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the black community is under the golf course. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And um I wanna fi- I wanna find out because everybody's sort of dead silent about the black community and they used to call it slab town. Okay. Slab town. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. And it's yeah. a very similar story to, I don't know if you're familiar with Charlottetown. Yeah. We had a place called The Bog. Yeah, I heard of The Bog. That was, yeah. I heard yeah, of The Bog. Expropriated, yeah. where people said there's no black people left. Mm-hmm. And then one of their descendants, uh, Dr. Hornsby, who, who physically looks white, mm-hmm. wrote, and everybody walk around, say, oh, didn't know all these families came from black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's almost the exact same kind of situation. And they call that the bug. Yeah. So the whole Maritimes is just loaded with, man, it's kind of a really miscreant kind of stories about communities that were <laughs> destroyed, covered yeah. over, yeah. They... Um, shunted. Yeah. <laughs> one minute they want, one minute you were no man's land until they wanted you. And then, you know, yeah. And then silence and yeah. the silence. Yeah. 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 Um, Priceville. You, I don't know if you ever saw the documentary called Priceville. No, no. Yeah. There was the exact same thing happened to a community in Ontario. Okay. It was a brilliant documentary speakers for the dead. I think it's called Jennifer yeah. wholeness. Okay. If you Google Jennifer wholeness filmmaker, mm-hmm. And yeah. exact same thing, the black community, they expropriated, took over their land. And why this was so egregious, they said uh, one, one guy took all, took all the gravestones from the black cemetery and made a ba- um, and put it in his basement as, mm-hmm. yeah. But if you watch that documentary, it, it's, it's, but that was the fate of 
traditional black communities in Canada. Right. It wasn't just in the Maritimes. Yeah. It was sort of a written rule that they be erased. Yeah. Wow. That's um, horrible, man. Yeah. Horrible. And, and, and you know what? Also, uh, Vancouver with uh, Hogan's Alley. So it was quite a consistent experience wherever we were close to white towns or, or that whites now wanted our land. Mm -hmm. uh, um, just a complete erasure. Yeah. Like you didn't exist. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it happened. It happened in the states as well. Like oh, yeah. in the Jim oh, yeah. Crow area, like yeah. the businesses down there were thriving, yeah. and yeah, you know, yeah. Was well, it, yeah, you we know? see the Wall Street thing. Yeah, yeah, the Black Wall Street. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah but the but the whole idea that there was never any sense of pride in even saying that there was black folks, you know, like the collective identity of all these places always wanted to erase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Black it's, presence. Yeah. You know, These now are, you hear people saying, oh, they're proud that they got black people. They, but that was not our experience up until mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. All these towns, we were, we were no man, were no man's land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We existed in spite of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And, and every time something was done, it was to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. So overall, I mean, you emigrating to, to Nova Scotia obviously had a big, big, influence on your life and can yeah. you speak about those experiences you know like i mean and and talk about finding yourself well dad you know. should have bought me a winter coat <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that much that's true that's true <laughs> i got off the plane on december 10th 1972 wow in my Trinidad spanking little shirt. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a homecoming. Those were tough times. My, yeah. Me and my family were not made for each other mm -hmm. um, in many ways. I arrived at John Martin School in the north end of Dartmouth, population of about seven, six, five, six hundred, maybe ten blacks. Yeah. The first group of the people that adopted me was Shannon Park Wallace Heights, the Army Brats. Wow. They were racist and didn't know they were racist. Or maybe mm. they knew they were racist, but they didn't understand what, what racism yeah. was. Because mm -hmm. yeah. they had a black bus driver that they tormented every time he had their route. Right. The poor man, I remember Mr. Glasgow, he's having to and Mr. Brooks having to come and identify the kids the next day who were calling them nigger. Oh, yeah. So they were driving the bus. Right. They did, they did some very casually racist stuff. Um, every, you know, when they told me, uh, hey, you know, you're not like the rest of them, Dave. And the same point, and then at the same point, they embraced me like nothing. Yeah. Looked after me. When I ran for the student council, <laughs> yeah. that was my obese. Yeah. Yeah. And believe me, I was black. Like what I mean is uh, don't I was not one of these guys that was trying to fit into the white world. So I was looking for love, as I told you wherever yeah. I was at. Right. But it wasn't from being apologetically anything. Yeah. Because I had been nursed in blackness. Mm -hmm. I started a black youth group in my high school. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Population 1,800 whites and 25 blacks. So everybody knew this is Dave Woods. Right. But the same people that lived that life treated me like a king. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
So there's always this duality, right? Yeah. Um, one girl, because I just joined Facebook, I, I'm a technophobe and I don't like modern stuff anyway, but I was stuck <laughs> in the house. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. travel. Yeah. And um, one of my artist friends said, you should join Facebook. So I finally did. And all these Dartmouth High people, <laughs> that was why I was so grateful because they hadn't been part of my life for a long time. Right. Yeah. And one of them was a really close friend. Her name is Diane McDougall. And um, we started talking about the old days. Yeah. So I would just mention like some of the things I was going through, you know, even hanging around them, you know. Mm-hmm. And she just had no clue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she said, say, oh, I'm so sorry you went through. You know, um, so this is why I mean people can be a part of something and not even have a consciousness of what, you know, of what that, I mean, I'm not saying they're not guilty. I'm saying they actually don't have a consciousness of racism. Mm-hmm. So they would make racist jokes. Because you got to remember, when it was completely majority white, when there was no black teachers, when there was no black programs, when there was no... Yeah, yeah. It was a different world. It's not like today. No, of course. (laughs) Somebody says something, you have a a, a process for complaint. Yeah. You you know, they might get away with it, but it's not from it being accepted. Mm -hmm. I went to schools where the teachers were making black jokes. (laughs) Jeez, man. And you had no... There was no way of resolving that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was no appeal. There was no, I used to read all my um, English textbooks beforehand, all the stories, so that whenever there was a Black reference, I would leave the class. Really? Right. Because my, the very first experience I had, and you got to remember, I came, I came um, in December. So let's say maybe within two or three weeks, they were reading a short story and they said the guy went coon hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, raccoon hunting yeah, yeah the whole class turned around and laughed at me man really that's horrible mm-hmm. so after that happened once or twice oh i wouldn't have no part of that mm-hmm. yeah so i'd get up and, and um ask to use the washroom when i knew you know because we used to read the stories out loud yeah mm-hmm. yeah i could deal with a lot of things but i couldn't deal with the casualness of this. Somebody said, oh, they're talking about you, Dave. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The teacher didn't say nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Said there was no, there's nothing you could appeal to to resolve it. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right? So it ain't like I can get up there and do a Martin Luther King speech. Yeah. Today would be a whole other thing, boy. (laughs) That would have snapped a day would have put something on. (laughs) (laughs) But at that point, that's that's what I was um but I said the very the same people, man. My first Parker jacket came mm-hmm. from Carl Cameron, whose mother saw me one day, because I don't know why my father wouldn't buy me winter clothes. Yeah. But the mother next day he came along. Hey, my mother sent this for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They talk about me like <laughs> the very same people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we're lifelong friends. I said when I got the Dartmouth High and ran for student council there, the whole of Shannon Park Ball of Ice voted for me. Yeah, yeah. And we were considered, you know, the bad part, you know, North End, Dartmouth, Shannon Park, you know, Army yeah. Rats. And yeah, it was yeah. all the rich kids. Why? Yeah. They were in a bit of a shock. 
Yeah. I, I swamped them poor, those, those rich folks. <laughs> you know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm saying I had a good personality. That wasn't even the issue. But I'm right. also telling you that people, we had, we had, for example, um, slave auctions in our, in our um, winter carnival. What? <laughs> Seriously? Yes. My God. Did you know that was a tradition in Nova Scotia? No, no, I didn't know that. Winter carnivals, they would have something called a slave auction. What? Where you bid on bid on students, and they would be a slave for the week. Oh my gosh, and I didn't know that. Yeah, and I remember because these are things that I recorded in my mind. Didn't have a process to undo, and I'm probably the only guy you would ever hear it from because. People didn't, I, I pay attention to everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And there's nothing that went by that, you know, if, if I couldn't change it, I at least. <laughs> remember it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah Austerity. Yeah. yeah, of course. But yeah. I remember, because I remember being really offended, but again, you got to understand the context of the times. This was not a time where you had a platform mm -hmm. for articulating blackness mm -hmm. or, any power base. Mm -hmm. The system had worked to the point where there was never any black teacher. If there was a black teacher, they would only have one. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what schools you went to. This the inner cities were probably better than the rural areas. They never hired black teachers. Mm -hmm. um, later on, there would be, I said, programs that actually acknowledge black stuff. But back in the seventies, no. Yeah. And I remember sometime in like the nineties the high school principal at QEH banning slave auctions because I remember somebody had complained. So I knew at least at that school there was one because I remember there was a public statement against it. Right. But I had grown up in both junior high and Darden High mm -hmm. with the, as part of the winter carnival. Again, this is what I call about the blindness. Mm -hmm. now, yeah. They were doing this without... There was never, I was probably the only person who was seeing it on a racial level. Right, right, right. There was black kids being auctioned. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, and quite, quite uh, happily so. Yeah, that's so bizarre. Because it was a, it was a, it was a sign of popularity if you, if you got bidded on really high. Yeah, of yeah. course. But, but obviously, what were the origins of this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See what I mean? But yeah. there was a complete blindness. Mm -hmm. to that stuff. So as I said, even if I talked to some of my white compatriots that I grew up with, I could mention 10 or 20 different little things and they would always be like, wow. Yeah. Didn't know you were experiencing that day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, stereotypes have always sort of been the way in society yeah. at some point and we often play up to them, you know, and right, they become, yeah. they become embedded in our yeah, subculture. Oh yeah, in people's mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, that, it was really sad. And I, I even see some friends now and I remember they growing up and they were just trying to fit in there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's and, all about survival. I, mean, I hate to say it. They were like, wow, they were going to some lengths. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I was almost, I was embarrassed. Yeah. But for them, it was trying to find a niche. Mm -hmm. Now you you, uh, you spent uh, well you worked at Buff, so you you spent time in the North End oh, of Halifax. I, I, oh yeah, I but, lived there too. 
So what what difference did, did you see between the two communities across the bridge? What what, yeah. what you mean in terms of Preston or my community? Which one? No, um, like the north end of Halifax versus versus where you went to high school in Dartmouth, oh, like the was, north end of oh, Dartmouth. I lived in a white neighborhood, yeah. <laughs> so that that was you know it wasn't it wasn't in a black anything there except you know later on more blacks moved in yeah. from Preston, but when I was coming up. It's little pockets of blacks on um, Creighton Avenue. Little, you know, black wasn't an issue in Dartmouth. Yeah, in, in terms of a, as a population, not like how, not like North End Halifax. I mean, right. probably about one third of the population, at least in the Gardner Street area, but you'd probably be about close to one third of the population. Oh, definitely. for sure, and most street, definitely. And, and if you went to school, you know, I went to I went to a school with two thousand people, and there might have been twenty five blacks. Yeah. I mean, if you went to QEH back then, you would have, what, 200? At least. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a big difference. Um, I work with kids from the North End, but you see, I don't recognize boundaries. So, yeah. It's just a task, you know? Right, right, right. I hooked up with Terry Simons, God love him. Yeah. I uh, worked at the North Branch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Man said to me, um, after they'd gotten rid of the youth group, he said, I'll give you office space in the basement. Mm -hmm. You do my black history, my black history stuff at the library in exchange. Wow. Yeah. The next year he says, I get you a um, full-time, I'll get you a full-time salary, run all my black history programs for the library. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. So, I was on, I was a worker <laughs> yeah. and I didn't see, I am mean, in love with my people. So I, so I don't care if you, you gave me the, the, I had the, I mean, I was hanging in Downeytown. <laughs> right? yeah. Where they said, I didn't even know I was in Downeytown. Yeah. I said, oh, you yeah. go down the road? <laughs> we yeah. don't go down the road. Which is some of the hardest part of North Preston. Yeah. 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 I was in the North End. Mm -hmm. Man, it's all stereotypes, man. People are people. Yeah, it's true. I remember, man, and people were always amazed how this guy show up and do all this stuff because I actually offered people something they were interested in. My brother uh, uh, talked about you as well, Corey. Who's Skinner. your brother? Corey Skinner. Oh, my lord! Yeah, he's my he's my <laughs> half brother. Yeah, you mean the rapper? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, Corey. Oh, he's Corey's, not a rapper, but no, he worked with me when I did one of the rap contests. Oh, okay, oh, okay. Well, that's why I called him the rapper. Oh, he was cool. Yeah, he's his big announcement. Yeah, he's some in guy a, called himself local Dre. Yeah, that was that. Uh, he ran into the room. Yeah. Local Dre is here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember local Dre. He was he was from my neighborhood, Spryfield. He was very excitable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Corey, but he yeah. caught me on the tail end. I had left CAYG and then I came back, so he yeah. he didn't get the full blast. You've been you know listening to your story is amazing because you're you're in some ways. I, Forgive me, but I, here's the way I see it is you, you're a true testament of whatever you resist persists. Just when you were talking about, you know, how your art sort of came through you and, and everything like that, when you didn't feel quite right with what you, the direction you were heading. So yeah. what I mean is, is that you're, you're such an inspiration in the fact that what you did with your art 
helped you in your life as oh, well yeah. as helping it clarified their, it clarified my life too. yeah and it, it, wasn't, helped, it wasn't just them <laughs> yeah no you know? i know and yeah. you know and it helped the kids sort of find oh, some yeah. passions and and find something to be involved oh, yeah, in man. and yeah. learn people, people started seeing themselves yeah, yeah. And you learn about your blackness in, in, in a much bigger light yeah and that's a that's an amazing yeah. thing i mean doug sparks ran for the school board at age 23 Wow. When, it, when there was no black designated school board thing. Mm. And all the CAYG kids were his uh, <laughs> his assistants and things yeah. in a white neighborhood and won. Yeah. 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 So they began seeing themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in a uh, bigger light, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the thing I said, I always feel proud about, they all owned it. Yeah. They felt they owned who they were. That vision. It wasn't yeah. Dave Woods telling them. <laughs> Yeah, because I never said a word. I just said you got to do stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. I would provide you with all the, you know, we had the quiz games where you got to learn your history without mm. you really knowing you're learning your history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did the debating tournaments where they were introduced different thoughts. Because I never said nothing. I'm not, I tell yeah. people all the time. I don't need to preach. Yeah, <laughs> it's all no. about you. Well, yeah. that's awesome. That was a an amazing story, David. Man, that's an amazing story. And uh, again, thank you very much. No problem at for all. lending us a little bit of your time. Yeah, uh, inspirational, man. Um, thank you, and you know, you can have me back. All right, yeah, yeah definitely, you <laughs> yeah. will. All right, well, all Jay right. Jones, you want to take us out, or you? Yeah, well, let's just take it out real quick. Like David Woods, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, you know, you're 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 an inspiration. Um, and you're a griot you're telling these stories and you're teaching oh, these, yeah. these kids and you have taught your kids and now you're doing it for yourself and uh it's just it's just awesome to see i really appreciate it we i really, really appreciate, appreciate being it. here yeah Thank and we're you. coming to toronto next year with our quilt show oh we'll be there the museum sure. of textiles yeah you awesome. let us know let us um, know yeah. boy and, do i have some stories connected with those quilts <laughs> yeah that's cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have you some. We'll have you on sometime for a part two, and you All can right. talk more about those quilts. The quilts, yeah, yeah. Sure. or yeah. maybe one of the women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That too. Yeah, yeah. Breaking new ground. Breaking new ground. Breaking new ground. Breaking new ground. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Breaking new From the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. Contact with the spot, McX. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul. Reaching all aspects, the song, breaking new ground from the breakdown. It's a fire inside, a brand new path, breaking down the sum to one. Feeling free, I just laugh with the joy of a beat boy. Just kicking it live, a connection so strong. Transcribe with the vibe like magic prescribed.